You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. Today we'll be addressing the current COVID-19 outbreak through best practices in cleaning and disinfection. Our guest is Dr. Carson Carpenter, a practicing dentist in Farmington Hills, Michigan, and president and CEO of Compliance Training Partners. He has over 25 years experience designing educational programs to bring dental and medical facilities into compliance with governmental regulations, including OSHA, HIPAA, and infection control. I would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox. Clorox has a broad array of products that are ideal for the dental practice, including disinfectant wipes and sprays and germicidal cleaners. So, Dr. Carpenter, it's a pleasure to have you on our show today. Thanks, Phil, and it's great to talk with you again. It's been a while. So COVID-19, you know, we've heard so much about it. We're, we've probably partially suffering from COVID-19 fatigue at this point. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what you know about how it remains on surfaces? COVID-19, as you know, it's really a moving target. Things are changing all the time. We're learning more and more. And as you say, we all know the basics, you know, emerged from China. It's an envelope virus, all of those things. It's passed when some coughs or sneezes and we directly breathe in those airborne droplets. But it also seems that it's passed on uh, tough surfaces, all the surfaces we have in a dental office, doorknobs and armrests and tabletops and countertops. And, and probably what's coming out here in the last few days that's a little discouraging is that it seems to live not just several hours like we may have thought in the beginning, but up to several days on these types of uh, surfaces, plastic countertops, corian, tile, metal, etc. Yeah, that is discouraging. I mean, it just seems to be such a challenging environment to practice dentistry. So now, right now, most of the dental offices are closed except for emergencies. Is that correct? That's true. Only for emergencies. And if you're in the state of Pennsylvania, all offices are closed, period, because they, they just don't feel they can even treat emergencies in a traditional dental office. If a dentist is going to reopen, and we know that when they reopen, it's most likely this virus is not completely gone from the planet. Should they bring in additional help to literally wipe these surfaces clean like all day long, like they're doing in some of the grocery stores? Well, you know, as it, as it stands right now, I really think that, that if anything, I'd like to see them bringing in less people, less patients. Um, I, I'd like to keep it simpler. As a matter of fact, some of the things that we're advocating right now, and I'm speaking of the of the COVID-19 emergency, you know, not, not when it's over. When it's over, of course, I, I think we truly will get back to normal. But we're talking about things like only having one patient in the waiting room at a time. And in fact, actually making it like a cell phone lot, have them pull in the parking lot, call the office. When it's their turn, they walk directly into the office. Um, we're insisting that patients who come in the office wash their hands with alcohol hand rub. Um, we put a gown on them, we put a head cover on them, they go into the operatory, and, and we really are just designating um, one operatory at this point um, that we can thoroughly then disinfect. Some good news about the COVID-19 virus, it, it is an envelope virus, it's pretty easy to kill. Um, that, that is some good news. So it's easy to kill using surface disinfectants? Absolutely. With uh, uh, most intermediate level disinfectants, so we're talking about almost all of your um, hospital uh, grade uh, disinfectants that have a TB kill, um, they're going to kill the human coronavirus COVID-19. That being said, make sure to go to the CDC website where they have a link to a list of 
all the disinfectants approved for this, which, which are most of the standard hard surface disinfectants we're using today. And one thing I like about the Clorox products, I mean, I've used them for years, is the fact that they they have a very nice website and it tells you how to read a label, which let's face it, most of us usually don't read the labels on these bottles, but it's very important now more than ever to read the label on that bottle to see just what it will kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we've been using, as when I was an endodontist, when I was practicing, for the most part, we used Clorox wipes. And um, of course, we used Clorox in our uh, sodium hypochlorite uh, mixture when we irrigated. So uh, we've been sure. familiar, we've been familiar sure. with their um, Clorox healthcare brand for many years. So getting back to the staff, how would you recommend a doctor who's practicing dentistry to protect his staff? What, what's the simplest answer about how they would do that? Well, you know, to me, it's it's a lot like, uh, you know, as you know, I, I've taught infection control and OSHA compliance for over 30 years. And as I always say, well, while OSHA is designed only to protect the employee, the CDC is designed to control the infection in the facility for patients and employees. But there's a lot of crossover. So really, again, what protects the patient protects the employee. What protects the employee protects the patient. So, for example... Uh, some of the things that protect both are, are some of the other things we're now doing. We've removed all non-essential items from the waiting room. We don't want patients touching those where they can contaminate the office. Um, we're asking everybody when they come in uh, the question. In fact, we actually ask them when we confirm. And the questions we ask are, of course, if you traveled internationally in 30 days, you've been around any confirmed or suspected cases. Um, we're taking a temperature on every patient when they enter the facility. Um, so, so I guess more than anything else, we're really trying to screen these patients. So I'm not saying we can can catch all of them, but but if screening brings up a, something we're unsure about, then we're not going to see them. We're going to have them contact their primary physician and get a consult before we see them. Okay, so say we screen them and now they're in the chair. Um, and what they want to know is our, our audience is asking, and we've gotten this question over the last week many times, what kind of mask, uh, what's the minimum uh, protection as far as masks go? I mean, is a procedural mask, like a level two, if they don't have an N95? I know N95 would be ideal, but a lot of these offices don't have any more. What do you recommend to them? Those are really good questions. And, and at compliance training partners, th those are some of the main questions we're getting every day right now. It's all about masks. It's about personal protective equipment, but but especially about masks. Um, First of all, let me say this. A lot of people ask, can we reuse masks? Um, the CDC has made it clear that there's still single-use disposable items. You, you, you can't be reusing masks. And, and, of course, they even have a website that's supposed to be addressing the shortage. If you go to the CDC website, you'll find it. But when it comes to masks, of course, a, a basic mask that we use in the office is either rated by who's, what's called uh, American Society for Testing and Materials, it's either rated a one, a two, or a three. So level one filters out 95% of particles, um, really larger than 0.1 micron, no fluid resistance or very low fluid resistance. Level two, 98% filtration with moderate fluid resistance. And level three is 98% also, but it has good fluid resistance. In this environment, I really want to see practitioners and staff using at least a level two or three. Um, when it comes to N95s, here's the problem. Okay, first of all, they're not really masks, they're respirators. 
So if you've got a respirator, now you're coming under OSHA guidelines that require having the proper sizes, having fit tests, having a medical evaluation for those people who are going to use them before they use them, having a written respiratory protection plan. So, so really, it's not recommended for use, routine use in dentistry anyway. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, Phil, is this. Um, the only time you need to really be wearing an N95 is if you're doing uh, an, an, aero, quote, an aerosol generating procedure. Well, in this environment today, COVID-19 emergency, the only aerosol generating procedure you could possibly do, in my mind, would be running the high-speed handpiece. Well, here's the problem. If you don't have N95s, you shouldn't be running the high-speed handpiece. You need to be doing it without. If the only other time you'd wear an N95 would be if it was a known or suspected COVID-19 patient. But, but think about this. Our facilities aren't equipped to see a known or suspected COVID-19 patient. You need to have a negative air pressure room. You, you, you need to have specially trained people. Those people need to be referred to a hospital-based program. Yeah, so with the overload in the hospitals and a patient's coming in with a severe toothache <clears throat> and you're not sure if they're COVID-19 positive and you have to hemisect the tooth to remove it, you have to pick up a handpiece to get this tooth out, it's partially impacted. I mean, I guess you just got to send them to an oral surgeon if the, if one is available. But the question is, is that oral surgeon available? Is he is he or she overloaded with patients? So again, we're, we're talking about a situation that's so unprecedented that, you know, um, if a dentist can help a patient that's severely in pain, you certainly don't want to have that patient go looking for some oral surgeon outside of that office and they can't find one that's available. Um, and they don't, if they don't have an N95 mask, you're saying they can't use a handpiece. So is that According the only to OSHA, choices to refer them out? Absolutely. Absolutely. It really needs to go to a hospital-based program that would have, first of all, N95s available, trained personnel who've been fit tested and had medical evaluations. Um, that's, that's really what it would take. Now, I'll tell you the oral surgeons that we work with here, um, they are following those guidelines. They're not picking up a handpiece. Their feeling is, look, if we, if we have to leave a root tip now, we'll go back and get it later. But we still don't know exactly just how this virus is being spread. It's, it's, it's still undetermined. And, and, and I, would, I, for one, really don't want to be use, breathing an aerosol um, in a traditional dental facility today. I think we have to be very careful. So how's the flu spread? Uh, isn't that an envelope type virus? It is. It's 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 really spread in the same way. And and you know really this is this is going to open up a whole long term conversation about m maybe we need um some regional facilities that are just dental, almost almost like a surgery center. You know we see all these surgical centers around. That's a dental center designed to treat these type of patients. I mean a dental facility designed with negative air pressure rooms. HEPA filtration of the air, UV irradiation of the air, trained personnel wearing N95s, maybe even full respirators. So um, we're going to have a lot of reevaluation to do even after this emergency is over. But again, I just want to stress for right now, um, as one business owner to another, speaking to other, other of my colleagues out there, if you're just having somebody put on an N95 to take out a tooth, they haven't been trained 
you don't have a written program, they haven't had a medical evaluation, you're putting your business in jeopardy the way I see it. Mm-hmm. You could bring up, bring bring litigation against you. It's a tough spot to be in, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as I said, it's unprecedented. We time. want to take care of our patients, but we have to protect our business. We're getting close to wrapping up this podcast, but I want to ask you a couple more questions. Uh, as far as protecting the patients from the spread, now you talked about the staff. What do we do to protect the patients any differently than we currently do for our typical infection control protocol? Well, again, it comes down to what, what's the, the beautiful thing is that what protects the patient protects the staff. And that's why when that patient comes into our waiting room, and again, I mentioned we give them a head cover, we put on a disposable surgical gown, we put gloves on them. Yes, that protects them, but that protects our staff because now they're entering our facility. Um, the other thing is whenever we can, if it's a restorative procedure, we're going to try to use a rubber dam. We're going to, um, again, try to not use a high-speed handpiece. Um, staff, I'm telling you, this is a great time to revisit your training. We all know we're supposed to do annual OSHA training, and infection control training. A lot of us, you know, you get busy, you don't get to do it. Get your staff together. Do your OSHA training. A lot of the problems here can be prevented just by understanding how to use personal protective equipment, masks, gloves, glasses, long sleeve clothing. I'm having your staff understand um, how to properly disinfect a room to protect not only the next patient, but to protect them, making sure they're wearing their safety eyewear. Um, all, all the basic things that are part of infection control and always have been. Really, it's all about standard precautions, right? Treating everybody as if they're infectious, whether we have a COVID-19 emergency or not. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my last question, just to wrap up our podcast is, um, so what are the best practices for environmental cleaning and disinfection that our listeners should be adopting in their practice? Environmental cleaning and disinfection. Here's the good news. In essence, um, not, nothing's changed. Um, in, in essence, nothing's changed in that we're supposed to be doing things carefully, doing it the right way. But, you know, we all tend to maybe get a little bit lax at times. So here's some of the things that we should should have been doing anyway that I really want to emphasize now because it's going to protect us against COVID-19. In other words, it's going to disinfect and clean the room, but it's going to protect us. First of all, um, making sure you're using a quality intermediate level disinfectant. In other words, hospital grade disinfectant that kills TB and is effective against human coronavirus. Secondly, I'm using barrier products wherever you can. Um, Third, removing all loose items in the operatory. Everything needs to be bagged or in drawers or in cabinets, get all that loose stuff out of the operatory. Um, careful disinfection of the operatory following the instructions for use on that product. In other words, if it says it needs to set on there moist for two minutes, that doesn't mean you can start you know, wiping it up in a minute. So, so following directions, doing things the way we, we, we should be doing, should have been doing them all along, upping our game, but in, in essence, there's really nothing new. The products we have will kill COVID-19 effectively. The barrier products we have will protect us, but we need to use them the right way. Now, uh, just so our audience has, a, they like to ask what kind of products that uh, some of our KOLs are using. As far as Clorox goes, are there any particular 
uh, disinfectant wipes or um, sprays and germicidal products that you could recommend or that you use in your practice? You know, we use a number of different products from Clorox in our practice. Uh, we use them both in the operatory and in the laboratories too. We use them for disinfecting impressions and restorations before we work with them in the lab, disinfecting appliances. Uh, we use VersaSure wipes um, in our operatories. Um, I like that product a lot. And one thing I'll encourage you to do, if, if you haven't filled, take a look at their website because they list for every product surface compatibility. But what I like about the website is you can see which product will be kind to Wix surface. I'd really encourage people to do that um, because we all want to disinfect things, but we also don't want to destroy either our vinyl or our Corian or our countertops or our veneers. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Now, I know Clorox has a, you know, a major site, Clorox, probably Clorox.com, but then there's a health professional side to that website. So I guess you got to dig in a little bit deeper and they, they could find it. Clorox Healthcare. And um, I think they'll find a lot of good information there. And again, it's all about reading those instructions for use. We have plenty of good products, and we're very fortunate that this is not a difficult-to-kill virus. We just have to use the products the right way. Yeah, although it's it's spreading awfully fast. Maybe not difficult to kill, but it's certainly difficult to stop the spread. All right, um, so we'll get through this period. We really appreciate your incredible feedback, Dr. Carpenter. And um, again, we thank our sponsor, Clorox. Feel free to visit the site and learn more about their products. Read the labels, as Dr. Carpenter recommended. I, I agree totally on that. Um, you can Google Clorox Healthcare. That should get you there. Be safe, and thank you so much for your insight, and we will uh, have you on a new podcast, uh, an upcoming podcast soon. You take care. Very good, Phil. Great talking with you again, and I'll talk to you soon.